wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Hey everyone, happy Friday. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. Today we're going to have a really good chat with my friend Elise Comerford, nutritionist, health scientist and GAPS practitioner, all about histamines and mast cell activation and what that means and what it involves. Um, and we've, we've answered lots of questions from the Facebook chat groups and from emails. And so I hope this podcast will be really helpful for you. I know it was for me. Um, there's always more information that I can learn, <laughs> especially about, you know, these tricky subjects that we get a lot of questions about. Um, and it's never, a, a simple answer that covers everybody, but there's lots of different variables to look at. And hopefully um, you'll find some things that you can work on to improve your histamine issues, if that's why you're listening. So today I just wanted to remind you that if you live in far north Queensland, Elise and I will be bringing our new seminar, Nourishing Your Family, to Cairns, Townsville and Atherton in September. So it's very exciting. Um, you guys in Far North Queensland, well, we, <laughs> we get it first. So there's going to be three hours of really great information, cooking demonstrations, question and answer time, um, all sorts of help for those of you who are, who are needing um, to work through healing in your families. Some of you may be struggling with things like... Um, anxiety, developmental disorders, um, gut issues. Maybe you just are trying to work towards a healthier diet and need some help because you're feeling overwhelmed. So that's the kinds of things that we'll be talking about. Um, and just helping people with those first steps and what to do next if you need deeper healing. Um, and just showing you how to do some simple things like fermenting your own foods, really simple um, fermented veggies, um, some lunchbox ideas for both work and school lunches, some simple things that you can do to get your family on track and get them on board with you if you're trying to change your family's health. Um, so hopefully um, we'll get to see lots of you there. We're looking forward to it. The weather is amazing in far north Queensland at the moment. So for those of you down south who are cold and miserable and tired of the cold weather, come and visit us and come to our seminar. <laughs> Today we have gorgeous blue skies, sunshine, and there was actually frost last night, but in the day it warms up beautifully, although I still haven't been game to jump in the lake yet. Some people do, but I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to cold water. <laughs> but during the day it's in the 20s, so it's lovely. So come visit Far North Queensland. <laughs> uh, so next um, seminars we're hoping to hold in November down around Byron Bay and Brisbane. So stay tuned for those if you live in that area. And we really do want to take our seminars to um, other places where it's needed. So if you really want us to come to where you live, send us a message on Facebook or email and let us know. Um, if you think of a great venue, let us know. We're always looking for places to take seminars. All right, so um, in other news, don't forget that I'm sending out meal plans with links to recipes every week now. 
Um, that's another question that I get asked a lot is how to organize for the week so that you're not overwhelmed with the cooking and you can't keep up with healthy eating because you just can't keep up with the cooking for the family. So this is something that I've always um, loved helping people with, uh, working out a menu for the week, a plan, even if it's just a very flexible plan or if you're a detailed planner, I've got you covered as well. <laughs> so snack ideas, light meal ideas. When I say light meals, I mean breakfast or lunch because I don't eat traditional breakfast food like cereal. I eat meals, so light meals um, and dinners, things that you can prepare ahead, bulk cook and freeze, um, things that you can have on hand like condiments and you know 24-hour sour cream and things like that that you can have in the fridge to bulk out your meals. That kind of stuff really helps you to get ahead. So if you'd like to be on the mailing list to get my meal plans and recipes each week, all you have to do is go to the blog and click on the subscribe button in the sidebar and you'll be able to um, join up to the newsletter and receive that every Friday. Unless I'm late, then it may be Saturday <laughs> because, you know, I am a very flexible person. So some days... I go to the lake instead of getting my meal plan done and then I have to do the meal plan the next day. <laughs> That's what happened this week. So hopefully it will be in your inbox on Friday though, Friday or Saturday. Okay, so on to the um, interview. Fuad didn't get to join us this time, but Elise and I have a really good chat about histamine issues. And um, if you do have any questions, feel free to email either Elise or myself and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And uh, at the Quirky Cooking email is help at quirkycooking.com.au or you can go to elisecomerford.com and click on her contact form and email her that way. Okay, have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll um, get onto the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Bye. Hi, Elise. How you going? Hi, Joe. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, um, we get a lot of questions about histamines, histamine reactions, what foods you should eat when you're having histamine issues, um, people who've been diagnosed with mast cell activation and what they should do and how they're so overwhelmed, people who have been told to eat a certain diet because of histamine issues but want to know if it's the right diet. We've got heaps of questions for you. <laughs> yes, I know. Histamine is such a big topic in the GAPS community. Do you get um, heaps of questions on it? Yes. I would say like 90% of my clients have histamine issues. Right. It's just, it's kind of goes part and parcel, hand in hand with gut issues that there is usually some level of histamine intolerance. So why do you think histamine issues are such a thing now? Like I don't remember hearing, I mean, I suppose I had them when I was a kid. I know I did, but it seems yeah. like it's gotten worse. Yeah, and I had them as a kid too. I remember I used to get hives sometimes and right. my parents would just be like, what's that from? And never trying to connect it with, well, what did you eat? Or, you know, we no. didn't think that way then. No, well, mine was like violent sneezing every single morning of my life for all my growing up years. Uh, like I would start at 6 a.m. and my sister used to just go, oh, I hate this because she was sharing a room with me. 
and um, yeah, always the runny nose, the headaches, the all that stuff. Mm. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. There is so many symptoms. Maybe a good place to start would be just explaining what yeah. these means are because there's yes. probably people going, what are they talking about? What yes, that would be perfect. This? Thank you. Actually, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people that have probably been hearing about it, seeing it in the group and going, I don't even understand what this is. Um, or if I need to be worried about it, I think a lot of people hear about it and go, is this something that I should be yeah. talking about? <laughs> don't add it to your list if you Do don't I need add to. to my list <laughs> of things to think about? Yeah. Um, so histamine is something that we actually require in our body. It okay. does help our immune system respond to things. Um, I'm trying to just give a really basic description here. That's good. Um, so it helps in immune system function. Histamines help with digestion. We need it for our central nervous system function. Um, it's a neurotransmitter, communicates in messages from your body to your brain. Uh, it's also a component of stomach acid. So you need histamine to help break down food in your stomach. So histamine is not the enemy. It's just that when things aren't going as we would hope they are in our body, when things are out of balance, that histamine is also one of those things that can be out of balance. Okay. And so, yeah, no, you go ahead. When you finish explaining that, I have a question. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So histamine, normal thing to be in our body um it's something that does it is helpful we need histamine but it's this overreactiveness that we Mm. can then see an issue with histamine so there's there's so many ways to talk about histamine you can pull me up at any time because there's so many rabbit holes to go down with it (laughs) but when we're kind of thinking if we kind of look at how histamine should act and then Mm. what should happen once that's over it really comes down to histamine should be released in response to something and then it should be um, broken down by the body again. So there should just be this normal process of histamine release, histamine being broken down by enzymes. There's a couple of different enzymes. There's, a, there's diamine oxidase, which is an enzyme that breaks it down in the digestive tract. And then there's histamine and methyltransferase or HMT for short. Uh, that breaks down the histamine in the central nervous system. So we've got these factors involved that break down the histamine. So when we can run into trouble is if those factors aren't working properly. So that's one of the reasons that people could have a histamine issue. Histamine's being released in their system, but our body is not able to then break it down properly. So we end up with histamine levels that are too high. So other ways this can be happening... um, is we can have poor methylation in the liver. That's a whole nother story. Mm. But if we're basically not detoxing well, then we're not um, breaking down histamine properly. We can also be producing too much histamine. So one aspect how this can happen is if there's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, then some of those bacteria will actually convert more histidine to histamine so we'll end up with too much histamine. So it's often not just one thing going on. Yes. Um, when the, you know, DAO, the diamine oxidase that breaks down histamine in the digestive system, it's produced in the gut. So when there's gut damage, then we're not producing enough of the diamine oxidase to break down histamine. 
if there's gut damage and increased toxicity in the system, then we're going to end up with a liver that's not very happy. So that's going to affect our histamine breakdown. And then if we have this overgrowth of histamine producing bacteria, then we're having too much histamine produced. So there's kind of a few factors going on there that results in a system that has too much histamine going on. And so what histamine does is it is kind of like the red flag in our system that attracts the white blood cells to come and repair damage. So when there's signs of inflammation in the body, inflammation is like, here's the bubble wrap around this part of the body. There's the inflammation, right? We need histamine to come and dilate the blood vessels. And then we need that immune reaction to come along and fix the problem. So when we've got too much histamine in our system, because we're not, we're producing too much, we're not breaking it down properly. Our body is in this reactive state that is almost like having an allergic reaction without an allergen present. It is just that our histamine levels are too high. So then you can end up with some symptoms like having red itchy eyes, runny nose, sneezing, hives, aching arms and legs, like feeling heavy in the limbs. Um, Your mind can really be racing and overly focused on things. So, you know, you can't stop scrolling on Facebook and drag yourself away from something Mm. you're doing. That's because the dilated blood vessels in the brain, more blood going to the brain. Um, You can talk really fast, interrupt people when they're talking. You know, they're the kind of people that may have high histamine. Type A personalities are generally Mm -hmm. high histamine people. Um, other histamine symptoms, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else, headaches, heart palpitations. Is racing heart? Uh, yeah, racing yeah, heart. Because yeah. I think that's um, been one of mine. Yeah, low blood pressure. Yep. Increased saliva, eyes tearing, like getting mm-hmm. watery eyes. Um, I think that that kind of gives a good overall look, Adam. So a lot of it's like that allergic reaction kind of, Hey, fevery kind of feeling. So that's just having too many of those histamines in your system and then your body's in that reactive state. Right. Questions? So what about mast cell activation? What does that mean? So mast cell activation disorder kind of falls in there as well. Um, It's more like a term that is really given for histamine intolerance these days Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just basically saying that your immune system is overreactive right Um, so yeah it kind of just falls in there as being a part of this reason um, that we've got this histamine intolerance that the immune system is overactive okay got it um so do you want to talk about some causes? Like you mentioned gut health. Oh, you did sort of mention some causes already, but um, like the first thing you were talking about with histamines where your body's not break those enzymes and not breaking them down. Is that because of poor gut health or why is that? Yeah, so that is poor gut health. So right. if our gut health is not good, then we're not producing the diamine oxidase in the gut and then breaking it down properly. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, you can kind of see it's a, it's a bit of a slippery slope when the gut health isn't good, 
that this combination of factors ends up coming in. It's not just one thing. Mm. So it's it's just this combination of things. So, so um, if you weren't sure if you if it was like if you weren't sure if you have poor gut health, I just I was at a seminar on the weekend and the naturopath was mentioning how a lot of people just assume, well, I must have a leaky gut, and so they start doing say the GAPS diet or something. She said, and sometimes it's not that. Sometimes they don't have a leaky gut. And um, what what else would you mean by gut issues besides leaky gut like can you have gut health issues and not have a leaky gut that's a really hard question (laughs) sorry i've just been wondering that no that's a good question Mm. but it is a hard one to answer because to know the answer to that we need to test so many people and know that the testing we're doing is really accurate you know if there's leaky gut what's going on what's going on here I think it's rare for there not to be some level of leaky gut going on um, mm. and it will be developing in some way or another because it kind of goes hand in hand. When when we kind of look at the snowball effect of gut health, it's once the microbiome is out of balance, mm-hmm. it's not long until the gut will be leaky because mm-hmm. the gut lining needs a balanced microbiome to keep the gut lining healthy. They have a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So it won't be long of having an unhealthy microbiome until the gut lining will become leaky. I don't really test for that kind of thing. I don't do inter- um, intestinal permeability testing or you like don't? I, don't actually, I don't test for leaky gut mm-hmm. because regardless, it won't change our approach. Um, uh, okay. I, I, I'm really picky about testing for that reason because it's so expensive. Yeah. You can have people spending so much money on testing so I only ever get someone to test. I, I'd be interested in the results, but that's not enough to get someone to spend the money on them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's really we, when the approach is still going to be the same, then, then, then there's, no point, there's no point in testing. And when it comes to anyone with a histamine issue, then mm. I would be looking at doing gaps. That, that's the, that's mm. the way that I That's the approach that you would... Yeah. Histamine issues, yeah. And... And we're never really going to know, is it, is it the diamine oxidase? Is it the histamine-producing bacteria? Is it your liver? Like it's really hard to know and it's usually the answer is a combination of those things. But um, regardless, you can heal all those things with GAPS, you're saying? Yeah, I yeah. have seen GAPS heal all of those things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what do you say to the people who say, I tried GAPS but my histamine reactions got worse? you know what what would you is it that they're just going too hard too fast or yeah so the way you approach gaps when there's histamine issues is that when it comes to the stocks a lot of people are still doing bone broths when mm. what we actually do on gaps is we do short cooked meat stocks mm-hmm. um so the short cooked meat stocks are going to be low in histamine so the sources of histamine, I didn't really mention that. So sources of histamine, you know, that can increase those histamine levels in your body. There's a bit of contention over leftover food, whether it's yeah. histamine or bacteria that's causing uh, the response. So okay. some scientists think it's the, the pathogens that grow on the food that's causing the response and other people say it's histamine. We don't really know, but it does seem to affect people. Mm. Um, so food leftovers, cooking things for a really long time. So that's where bone broths 
aren't really good there. We want to do the short cooked meat stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they can be sources of histamine. And then there's other foods that can be sources of histamine as well, either containing histamine themselves or liberating histamine in our system. Um, so things like avocado, tomatoes, strawberries, um, honey, nuts, fermented foods, coconut, uh, red wine. Mm. They're things that can be higher in histamine. Fish. Fish, yeah. Um, pork is high as well. Okay. So, you... Sorry, I had a yeah. the leftovers question, the leftovers subject. What if you make a meal, cool it quickly, freeze it quickly, that doesn't fall into the same category as leftovers left in the fridge for a day or so, does it? What so, <laughs> well, leftovers left in the fridge for a day or so. Okay. With histamine intolerance, um, it really depends on where your level of tolerance is as right. to how you respond to things. So everyone everyone has a tolerance level of histamine full stop anyway. It's like a good analogy for the histamine thing is if you have a sink full of water and the, well, with a tap dripping into it and there's a plug at the bottom, like a hole in the bottom of the sink, if the tap's dripping more water in than the sink hole can get rid of mm-hmm. then eventually it's going to overflow yeah so the size of everyone's sink is different and it's mm-hmm. more gut issues you have your tolerance level is going to be lower so what each person there's people that can tolerate one or two days in the fridge of leftovers and they're fine any longer and they're not there's mm-hmm. other people that can't even leave leftovers in the fridge for half a day right um they'll, they'll need to freeze them and then even the freezing time there's some people that any more than two days in the freezer they can't have it oh wow uh, yeah so it the the level of tolerance is different for everyone and the way i suggest managing the histamine intolerance or and or mast cell activation syndrome um is by keeping the levels at where you can tolerate so yeah. the really big difference here is talking about the healing foods and foods that are just a source of histamine. So there's this catch 22 of dealing with histamine issues where you need to use histamine foods, histamine containing foods to resolve the histamine issue. Um, so, but, but that's, done that's frustrating. frustrating. <laughs> but done properly, done properly. It can be done. The meat stocks should not be high in histamine. It's just yeah. that naturally meat is protein, so naturally it will contain histamine. Mm-hmm. Um, so the short-cooked meat stocks will be low histamine. And then the fermented foods, also done properly, shouldn't be a source of histamine. So that's Really? Talk, yeah. So that's when we look at doing the fermented foods in an airlock system. So, so that reduces histamine. It, yeah, there, there shouldn't be histamine in that ferment. And then the longer you ferment, the better as well. Um, wow. So when, ferment, when fermenting properly like that, it shouldn't be a high source of histamine. So, Well, um, can we we'll talk about the meat stocks first a bit more and then if you could explain that about the airlock system, that would be good. Um, okay, cool. With the meat stocks, can you explain which meats are best to use for a lower histamine stock? Because apparently, like you said, pork is higher. Yeah, so pork is high, but I find I have some clients that will only tolerate chicken and others that will only tolerate lamb and they can't have the other ones. So (laughs) there is is different amines as well that people can be reacting Mm, to. That's all I can put it down to. So um, 
So it really depends on the person finding Trial and error. <laughs> for them. And the safe for people that are really intolerant, the safer meats are gonna be things like rabbit, duck, turkey, kangaroo. Oh, why know, is that? Because they're more wild, they're not um, farmed conventionally. Mm. Um, even when you're doing your good quality grass fed and everything like that, yeah. getting something getting a wild animal is always going to be better. Huh. Um yeah, so wild wild caught is always going to be the best, and you know you're not concerned that it's going to have been fed grain. Even grass fed can be grain finished. Sometimes they yeah. need to be grain supplemented. Mm-hmm. So that's for that's for when it gets to the point that some people are really sensitive and they yeah. do need to worry about that. Other people like me, I don't need I don't worry about that. Um, right. So plenty of people don't need to worry about that. Um, otherwise you can get caught up worrying about too many things and then yeah. the, worrying, the worrying then makes you sick. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So basically people would generally know what their symptoms are for when they get too high a level of histamines um, and then when they start seeing those symptoms happening a lot, they need to pull back on whatever they're eating, I guess, and figure out, okay, let's try something else. Is that... It's sort of like that kind of thing. You just sort of trial things. Yeah. So the way um, I would approach doing gaps with someone with a histamine issue is that we would prioritise the histamine sources. So stocks and ferments are in. Yeah. Um, you know, they're what we want to be having. And not that when the ferments are done properly, they're not a histamine source, but they mm-hmm. are going to cause die off. And then that's a whole other can of worms because right. and that can get mixed up, can't it? Yeah. When you're having when you're having fermented foods, um, probiotic rich foods, and that's causing die off, that'll cause a lot of symptoms that are pretty much the same as histamine symptoms mm-hmm. or very similar. And it and as bacteria are dying off they can release histamine as well so there is potential for histamine releasing there too Mm -hmm. so um, it is something that you need to go really slowly with so when introducing the fermented foods sometimes kraut juice isn't the best one to do first for some people some people find that is too strong Mm -hmm. and they'll need to do something like fermented carrots and just do the brine from that Mm-hmm. Um, or you can do asparagus or, you know, or green beans. So ferments that are going to be um, much more gentle. Yeah. And then just starting with the brine from those, cooking it and gradually increasing. So when you're, what we're trying to do with GAPS is get to the actual bottom of the issue. Like we want to resolve the underlying issue, not just go on a low histamine diet. So yeah. A lot of people that come to me with histamine issues will have been down that path of a low histamine diet. It's a very tempting path to stay on because they will reduce all the histamines in the diet and they will feel better. Yeah. But what I find for most people is that they do that for a while, then they're like, I just can't do this anymore. Like it's very restrictive. It's not fixing anything. I'm not going anywhere. They get you get to a place that's very stagnant, it's like, is this my life forever now on this really low histamine diet? So what we work at doing with GAPS is actually resolving the underlying issues, healing the gut lining. The mast cells are in the gut lining. So, you know, whether it's just histamine intolerance from overgrowth of bacteria or there is that mast cell activation issue going on as well, um, GAPS is, is getting at both of those. And it is also reducing the toxicity in the body, which brings down that load on the liver so it can methylate properly. So then, and then you're producing diamine oxidase properly. Then you're going to be changing the bacteria in the digestive system so it's not producing so much histamine. 
So you're actually getting to the bottom of all those issues that are causing it. So, um, yeah, it's not just a, it's not just addressing the symptoms. It is getting to the core problem. Yeah, because that's what I see a lot in questions in the chat groups is, you know, my, my doctor or whatever has put me on a low histamine diet. Um, and basically, do they just tell them just stay on that diet? Is that what they're told? Well, generally, well that's, that's pretty much it. You go really, really low histamine and then... And then they do a bit of a challenge and try and bring in and see and see what they can tolerate. But mm-hmm. there's no end point there. It is just, okay, now that's what you eat. For the rest of your um, life. No. Yeah, like it's, it's not getting <laughs> to the bottom of the problem. And no. I like that. I want no. to get to I want to know why and what yeah. I can do about it. <laughs> yeah, and really it's the same with SIBO as well. Mm. It's like, oh, just follow this diet and, like, eat, you know, don't eat any FODMAPs and, um and then that, and then that's it it's like okay now what i don't know what yeah. else to do now so i do get a lot of people coming to me when they're at that point okay i've been doing fodmaps and now i don't know what to do because that's it and i can't keep eating like this um and that's life. when gaps yeah gaps goes yeah. and resolves the underlying issue same with low salicylates low food chemicals like any of these diets where you're kind of looking at it and going okay well if i just go really low in this and then what yeah. whereas gaps people look at gaps as restrictive but gaps has an end point it's not yeah. eat like this forever because all the other foods are bad yeah it is, that's right real food is good food and just eat these ones for this period of time following this protocol so that you can heal so you can eat all real food yeah um and that's what the aim of gaps is you can bring back in potatoes i eat potatoes yeah and i'm not ashamed of it (laughs) (laughs) it's real food (laughs) it took me a while though when i after doing gaps and i really talk like so i'm really conscious of how i talk about gaps of it's not because all all other foods are bad that's right just healing so you can eat those foods so now we very happily eat potatoes and sweet potatoes. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, I sometimes Same. even eat sourdough now. So oh, I can't wait to whole, try yeah. that again. Yeah. I have tried it and not reacted, but I haven't tried making it. So I really want no. to get into that. Yeah, I've just had some really good quality locally made properly yeah. stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, same. I have it. It would probably be once every six months at the moment. Yeah, same. I, I have it once and I feel okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's the aim of gaps. It's encouraging. You get there, you know, and that you can enjoy the foods you want to enjoy with that awareness of, well, it's not going to be fake foods. Yes. It's going to be real foods. So, yeah. So when you're looking at just going all these low food chemical diets, it doesn't sit well with me because then we're getting fears of real food. Yeah. And like, where are we going as humans if we're going to be cutting out all of this real food? Whereas gaps, yes, we do cut out real food, but with the aim the goal to bring it back in that's right more. you know yeah. that is the goal of it so it's a healing yeah, so diet it's not it's not exactly. something you do forever no um, that's right so sorry i keep getting distracted with all sorts of things i want to ask you but the the meat stocks so did you want to mention the best way to make them and store them to keep the histamines low that kind of stuff um, so you want to do short cooking time. So as I said, pork, we would be avoiding that when there's histamine issues. Beef is often an issue for people too, that mm. um, they'll find that they can't tolerate much of it or not at all. And, and again, everyone's different. It's not, okay, you have a histamine issue, so now you should avoid all these things or keep these low. It's you've figured out you have a histamine issue, so figure out 
what your tolerance level is and what you can tolerate and just work with that. Um, so I would do, I have some clients that can only do chicken for an hour mm-hmm. and then others that can easily do it for three hours. So between that one to three hours, I have some that can just get one drumstick and stick it in a pot of water and try and just do that for half an hour. Um, is it really severe histamine issues so it's figuring out what you tolerate I would be starting with like a three-hour one and if that's fine that's fine Um, and then you're just wanting to put it into glass jars cool it as quickly as you can and get it into the freezer and some people that'll be fine to consume over the next week of them sitting in the freezer or two others will it'll be shorter so it's really just figuring out what is working for you and noticing okay when it's been in there a bit longer then I start to sneeze and I'm getting this stuff going on so we just we don't need to be completely um free of symptoms of histamines um it it really is just about keeping that at a manageable level where we're not just causing a lot of inflammation in the body um whilst we're healing that so I've seen really extreme histamine issues resolve in this way and the stocks are a huge part of that and the reason mm. for that is because they're healing and repairing the gut lining. They're healing repairing the gut lining where the mast cells are lying underneath that gut lining. Um, mm-hmm. The diamine oxidase is produced in the gut and then from healing and repairing the gut lining that has this symbiotic relationship with the bacteria in our gut, we're starting to change that as well. And so when we bring in the ferments, we're starting to get rid of some of that bad bacteria, get that balance back in place, and then we see the histamine tolerance improve. Mm. Um, so when it comes to bringing in, can, oh, is that enough about stocks? Can I go on to ferments? Yeah, go on to ferments, definitely. <laughs> okay, so when it comes to bringing in ferments, people can get really scared of a die-off reaction and it's like, yes. oh, is that okay? Like, oh, maybe that shouldn't happen. Maybe that's, you know, I don't, I hear a lot, oh, I don't tolerate Yes, that's what I hear. Yeah, so that's not really the case. So what's happening is if you consume a probiotic that you are deficient in, it's going to make an impact. So if you kind of think about that, it's like whatever whatever's not present in your gut, when you get it back in there or, you know, present in low numbers, when you get back in there, it's going to kick up the most fuss. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, because yeah. If you're say if you're deficient in one strain, the things that can then cause a problem because that strain is deficient, they all overgrow because that that strain's deficient. Right. You bring that strain back in, those guys aren't happy now because you're increasing that strain again. Yeah, so, it's knocking out the others. Yeah, so it's like what you're deficient. You're gonna have in, a fight. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. They have something to fight. If you're taking a probiotic and you're like, yep, great, I tolerate this probiotic really well, no symptoms, because you don't need it. Yeah, right. Okay. So if you take a probiotic and you're like, whoa, okay, this one's one's causing die-off, it's because you need those strains. Uh So that's what you're doing with the fermented food. In saying that, if you have some kraut juice and you're knocked on your, you know, you're laying in bed for a day, that's Mm -hmm. not okay. No. So you, you basically need to bring it in so slowly that the reactions aren't crazy. You're able to increase. So it's all about working very slowly. I have some clients, I've had people that have to put a drop of kraut juice in a glass of water then take a drop of that water. Wow. 
Yeah. So that's how slowly we can go with it. It's finding whatever level you tolerate. It's not about the amount you're taking. It's about the impact it's having. Yeah. So if you're taking that much and you're feeling that detox and that's starting to work for you, that's working for you. Mm. Okay. Now, can you explain what you mean by the airlock when, uh, when you're making your ferments? So an airlock. So an airlock, the ones that I use, um, can I mention the website I get? Yeah, on? I don't care. <laughs> well, there's no, no affiliation for either of us. <laughs> um, but I get them from and I send my clients to Oz Pharma um, mm -hmm. and they've got the Le Parfait Fido fermenting jars on there mm -hmm. um, and they've got an airlock in the top. Okay. So... Um, um, yeah, so what happens is when you're fermenting with an airlock, it's not letting any oxygen into your ferment. There's the kind of um, mason jar fermenting has been really popularised as being the way fermenting, you just kind of put it all in a mason jar and put the lid on. Mm -hmm. That's not how I ferment anymore. Yeah. Um, I like to use an airlock. I find my ferments turn out better. I don't get mould in them ever. Yeah. And I find they're nicer and... Um, and I find my clients tolerate them better when yeah. they're done like this. And that is, I think, is because they're not producing the histamines. Yes. So that is the best way to do your fermenting if you've got histamine intolerance. So it's just like a phyto jar. It's got a little hole in the top and this pipe that just sits into the hole and you just put some water in it. I mm -hmm. called it an airlock. I should really say it's a water lock. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you fill that with water. And then the carbon dioxide that's produced while it's fermenting can just bubble out through the water without letting any oxygen into the ferment. Cool. So you don't want oxygen in your ferment. So fermenting in that way, yeah, you'll have lots of success. You can. Some people are a bit scared of fermenting, of mould mm. and how it's all going to turn out. So you can not worry so much when you do it in that. I've never had a mouldy ferment. They always turn out really, really well in that. Is so it, that's the way I'd recommend doing it with histamine issues. What about using a crock that has the water lock at the top? Yeah, absolutely. So okay, yeah, that's same, what I same, have. Mm. Yeah, same deal. So that's traditionally what was used. Mm -hmm. And that water, you know, you feel the, there's like a moat mm. kind of going around where the lid sits and that seals where the lid crack kind of is between yeah. the lid and the, and the pot. And that water seals up that and carbon dioxide bubbles out through the water and can't enter. And yes. other ways it was done traditionally, it was done in like these concrete pots and they were sealed shut with lard. So traditionally wow. it, was, it was always done anaerobically. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So that's the meat stocks and the fermented foods are super important. Is that, is that like the two most important foods for helping to heal histamine reactions? Yeah, when we're kind of thinking of the specific foods, they're, they're the really big ones. But it is that overall, when you think about the kind of protocol that GAPS is, it's very whole food. It's looking at restoring nutrient deficiencies. Um, it's removing toxicity from the body by, you know, taking away foods that are increasing inflammation and toxicity. So it's like this overall effect that's being had mm. in the reduction of toxicity that's reducing the load on the liver um that's allowing the body to heal so it's a combination of all those things yeah but i do really feel like the the meat stocks and the ferments are really pinnacle in that that they're really really important it's almost and, like they're the medicine yeah <laughs> the other stuff is the food <laughs> yeah and it's like 
I see histamine intolerance improve most in those first stages of gaps. That's where we see the big yeah. changes in histamine issues. Um, so another kind of aspect, you can go down a really long tunnel with looking at histamine stuff because there's so, there's so many different ways that the body can be overloaded with toxicity. Mm-hmm. So if you have like chemical toxicity, like I've got one client that has Agent Orange in their system, like in Roundup and, wow. you know, all those kind of glyphosates, like, you, you know, so many different things you can have in your system that's going to put a load on your liver. Mm-hmm. Then there's also looking down the path of metals. Yeah. Um, if you've got amalgam fillings or even if you don't, you can have metal issues. Metal puts that load on the whole system and particularly the liver. And then there's also mould. So <laughs> when, when there's mould issues, histamine mm. issues are very common. And I know that was a big thing for me. I lived in mould yeah. and that was when my histamine issues went crazy, whereas before they'd not. I was drinking bone broths, you know, early in my okay. early, early in my days of gut healing when I didn't know about meat stocks. So I tolerated bone broths fine, but then at this stage, once I was living in a mouldy house, like there's no way I could drink a bone broth. So right, yeah. So if you if it's something that you've noticed has just all of a sudden become this really big issue, and you're like, well, all my life, you know, you may have noticed, you may be able to reflect, and I can look back and go, I used to occasionally get hives. Um, and you can say that you would get the sneezing fits. If if it's suddenly histamine issues have really come on really bad and where you're just not tolerating them at all, you're kind of then looking, okay, what's going on here? It could be Something in the environment. Could yeah, be, or you yeah. could have been really sick and taking heaps of antibiotics yeah. and really upset your bacteria and that could have triggered it. Or had um, something like salmonella which decimates yeah, your gut. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that could trigger it or it could mm. be this toxic overload on your body that's triggering it. Nice. And something that's really interesting um, is the connection with histamine and zinc and copper balance. So when histamine is high, that can throw off your zinc and copper balance. So that's when we're talking about zinc and copper balance, um, people might have heard of the, the term pyrols or pyroluria mm-hmm. or cryptopyroluria. And that is a whole other podcast in itself <laughs> we have done one on that oh yes that's right we did yeah. oh you did one no you i did, did one with jules galloway with jules yeah i was yeah. thinking about then yeah mm. i thought so yeah um so that's a whole nother yeah kettle of fish but mm-hmm. it is something that we see goes hand in hand and like most people with gut issues will end up having this histamine intolerance and then we see that their zinc and copper's out of balance as well and they're diagnosed with pyroluria mm-hmm. so basically Cryptopyroluria is when your blood is producing too many pyrroles and they bind to zinc, B6, omega-6 to be removed from the body and you end up deficient in those things. Zinc and copper are on the balancing beam, so zinc's low, copper ends up high. So you just end up with the Mm. symptoms of zinc deficiency, copper toxicity, omega-6 deficiency, B6 deficiency. Um, And that's usually remedied with supplementing. Yeah. Um, and symptoms of that are things like anxiety, skin issues, gut issues, abdominal pain, um, sensitivity, sensitivity to noise, light and sound, low sex drive. Mm-hmm. There's a whole list. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's just really interesting, the relationship between histamine and pyrroles because pyrroles is something that's like we don't know what causes it. Um, there's not really an answer for that, but it is related to histamine intolerance. So 
some people kind of go down the path of testing and they're like, oh, I've got MTHFR and oh, my histamine's really high and my zinc and copper's off. So it's just good to see when you can kind of trace that back to what's causing the issues here. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> I'm also looking at questions from people, but I'm not sure if it's the right time for these yet. Um, so basically when someone comes to you with histamine issues, what would be your first step? Just say it's someone who maybe is still on a regular diet, not on a particularly healthy whole foods diet, just a regular diet. What would you do first? Okay, so first step would be looking at something in the realm of whole food, paleo, full gaps, Western A price. It always depends on the person, so it's always yeah. hard to go. If someone comes to me with yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I always look at the person, what they want to do, their lifestyle, their family, what's going to work for them. We take all of those factors into account to come mm. up with an approach that feels good for them. Yeah, um, but it would be leaning towards that, that food first, basically. So basically, um, traditional healing foods. Yeah, that are but, low in like are not well, they're low inflammation type of diets aren't they too yeah they're going to reduce inflammation they're mm. going to reduce toxicity they're going yeah. that in itself it's going to start healing it's going to start changing the bacteria um, mm. so that's a really good start and how for some people that might be spending months gradually moving over to a healing diet for other people yeah. they might just go right in the next two weeks but we're on it we're on everything's the out of the pantry yeah. and freezer and yeah <laughs> yeah so depends on the person doesn't it exactly very different mm. for everyone i spent quite a while changing oh diet. me too years yeah. yeah yeah so yeah it really depends on the person how they go about that but it will be food focused first mm -hmm. and i find there's it's so much it's it's like working backwards yes. through the problem if we go if we go into testing first we can we'll, we'll get results we'll get like we'll uncover stuff it'll we'll get you know results from the testing that says oh yes this 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 these markers are out these markers are out mm. but we've not done everything we can to resolve any underlying issue first so yeah. testing is kind of my last resort it's mm. let's do everything we can first let's start let's start with the food let's build the foundation um, of a really healthy whole food diet then we might step up the healing and work on more of the healing foods and get those mm. in and and get some more healing happening then we might start to look at what could be the sources of toxicity here is there mold is there metals you know what up what kind of stuff are we dealing with here um and then we kind of go down that path and it's every step as we need to some people yeah. will can, will go from a standard diet to a paleo style diet feel amazing and they'll go problem solved so yeah. they don't need to do anything else they could yeah. have gone and done all the testing and all the supplements and worked in a different way but mm -hmm. just changing to a whole food paleo style diet they're like my health is fantastic so you don't need to fix what's not broken if that's yeah. They're feeling fantastic. That's as far as they need to go. Yeah. But if we do that and we're like, yeah, I feel heaps better. I've seen this resolve and this resolve and, you know, feeling much better, but mm. still, you know, this, this and this, I'd like to see that resolve. So that's when we step up the healing and really yeah. get onto a more healing kind of diet. And then, you know, same thing for some people, that'll be it. They'll be like, yeah, I'm great now. Other people, okay, we really need to look at doing intro gaps and really get into the deeper healing. Um, and then just going on from there, we do intro gaps. For some people, that's great. They're all, everything's fixed and they're, they're great. 
And then if not, well, then, okay, well, what's the source of toxicity here? We need to look deeper, metals, mould. So, you know, it's that kind of process of peeling back the layers. Yeah. What about, like, if someone decided, okay, I'm going to do paleo or full gaps or whatever, so basically they would just have to remove the foods that they that they really react to for a while and bring them in as they can? Is that how they would do it? So if, if that was the first step they were going to take, I'd be more focused on what they're adding in because the easiest way to change a diet is by adding things in first. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of that just overtakes the other things you're eating. So mm-hmm. I would be adding in short-cooked meat stocks, more vegetables and meat-based kind of meals. Um, so getting more over to that whole food style of eating and then just looking at the really high triggers of histamine. So not doing leftovers, trying to cook things a short amount of time. You may need to limit your um, intake of avocado. You might find mm. you can have it one day but not the next. So yeah. just playing okay. around with that um, yeah. because it's not going to just be about limiting histamines. It's going mm-hmm. to be about the reduction in inflammation in your body yes, and, then, right. and also about the reduced toxic load on your liver. So just that will help the reactions to be less already. Yeah, you're addressing mm, okay. it from, from many perspectives there yeah. like, to start bringing down that reactiveness. So, One, yeah, as you can see, it's like it's so different for every yeah, person how definitely. depending on where they're at, what they're yeah. doing. Some people will come to me and they'll just go, I'm just going to go full on in whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> like because they're at a point where they've been so yeah they're desperate so long. yeah yeah that we get onto things really quickly and for yeah. others it's like definitely an issue not so bad okay how do I go about this and in that case it's not worth the stress and overwhelm of jumping straight into something you're or better off can't. taking a sorry yeah more it's gentle approach but yeah <laughs> 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 <You're trapping. laughs> I was or they have family that says i'm not changing my diet which yeah. does make it a lot slower yeah which is fine as well because that's all part of the process yeah um it's- is you know getting everyone on board or not yeah. if you you know just focusing on you if that's what it takes and yeah yeah and there's nothing better for everyone else than to see what you're doing yeah because as humans we naturally gravitate towards good health if we Mm -hmm. know how it's possible it's just there's so much confusion we don't know how to do it oh that's so true that's so true um one lady asks that she would like to know about wine and that why it triggers a response in her while it doesn't in others could it be that it's to do with the preservatives rather than fermentation? Um, hard to know for sure. Mm. Um, but if she is intolerant to histamines, it can be that. Mm. Um, so that, like, that is a very common issue with wine. Wine's yeah. like histamine. So if people with histamine tolerance generally can't drink wine, particularly red wine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would really depend if that is a case of there being um histamine intolerance is has she asked this question in relation to histamine like yes yeah she said she said i would love to know about wine fermentation preservatives and histamine reactions sometimes some wines really trigger off a response in me whilst others don't so she wasn't she just wanted to know Ah, if it was preservatives or was it fermentation or ah yeah sorry i didn't read it properly well that's okay while some wines don't Mm. Um, so yeah, well, can be a few things going on. It could be like 
could be a salicylate, so it could be that some are higher in salicylate, so maybe that's triggering her as well. It could be the preservatives that in some that's triggering her. Um, I'm not an expert on wine production, but I, yeah. <laughs> um, but I know that some processes can be worse than others in in you know how they process it and how they make it i don't i don't really it's interesting how they're finding so much um like glyphosate in wines now yeah so Mm. it could be that as well so it could could definitely be the quality so i would be suggesting going for you know the preservative free organic kind of wines would Mm. be your best bet Okay, someone else asks, if a mast cell activation disorder is suspected but the person doesn't have raised tryptase, tryptase levels in a blood test, does this rule MCA out as a cause, specifically in regards to searching for causes of idiopathic reactions and anaphylaxis, or could it have contributed but not always show raised levels? And if you do have or suspect MCA issues, how do you treat it? <laughs> so you've said that bit, but um, hmm, do you want me to read that again? <laughs> Yes, that's a big question. <laughs> it is. Okay, so if mast cell activation is suspected but they don't have raised tryptase levels in the blood test, does this rule it out? Um, no. So it doesn't rule it out. It's not the only way to test for it. I will say first, though, that I don't know a lot about mast testing for mast cell activation because I don't mm. do it. So I don't know it in depth, but I do know that that's not going to be the only thing that you're going to test for. It's not going to, um, it's like, not going to rule it out. Well, like you said, there's so many different variables to these reactions. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you can, it can that can still be normal. Um, okay. That's the first bit. Answer. Okay. And she said in regards to searching for causes for idiopathic reactions and anaphylaxis, that's what they're trying to figure out. What's the cause? Um, so she's saying if the raised tryptase levels are not in the blood test, yeah, could it still be the cause of anaphylaxis-type reactions? So yes, answer is yes. Yes, okay. Um, or could it have contributed but not show rather, yeah. Okay, and then she asks how to treat it. So basically MCA is treated the same way as what you've just been saying with all the history. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so I... I there's so much with testing testing we can really kind of put this put testing on this pedestal of well it gives us an answer Mm. but testing is like trying to see the whole world through a pinhole yeah it's it's we can only test for what we know Mm. like as in we're only testing because we we know about this test and we know that this might impact this and then we're testing that so it's like looking at the world through a pinhole it's very hard to just do testing and find the cause of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the big reasons I don't like testing because you can spend thousands of dollars trying to find that. And in the way that I work with people with gaps, it wouldn't change the way I'm approaching it. Yeah. So for this person that's trying to investigate and find the causes of this idiopathic um, anaphylaxis, I would my approach would be down the path of gaps. like. Mm of looking, you know, first gaps, intro healing, seeing how that goes, and then looking for sources of toxicity. Yeah. Um, so looking mould would be massive one I would be looking for in that yep. case and also looking at metals. So, yeah, it would be going down that path of, okay, well, what 
can possibly be causing this. This is a symptom. It's not the primary issue. Even even if you, they did discover that mast cell disorder is causing the anaphylaxis, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still, still a not the primary issue. Mm. It's, okay. it's pointing us towards something else going on. So I would be trying to get figure that out. So if you went through working on healing with food first and then you decided still not getting to where I need to be and maybe it's mould or metals, then you would actually test for those? Sometimes we will. Um, I do a combination of clinical picture, investigating through a conversation, like, mm. what you know, um, getting the history of course, um, yeah. and, and investigating, well, yes, we lived in a, a very mouldy house and, okay, that's indicating that mm. that's probably an issue. So sometimes we have enough evidence and clinical, testing, yeah. yes, to then not spend the money okay. on testing because we can just start addressing it. The, yeah. the methods we're using to address it are do no harm. So mm-hmm. we know very quickly whether or not it's helping. Um, so, yeah, that, that again with the testing. Sometimes I, sometimes definitely I do test um, with mould. Sometimes people want to see that on the piece of paper to know, okay, well, yeah, look, there's a mould, that's, that's what that causes and that can help. It can help seeing that test result. So mm-hmm. um, I think in one of the podcasts I did with you, I said that I don't like testing and then yeah. I often get clients now and they're like, I know you don't like testing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 it's not that I don't like it. Um, I said you don't want to overdo it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like overdoing it. I don't like encouraging clients to get testing, thinking that that's going to help them get an, the, the answer. Mm. Um, but if someone feels like that getting a test and seeing something there helps them, then go for it. Like that's Or if it can help to can persuade the family to change that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can get a test result and go, look, it's mould, and show family members and go, look, this is the result and that's the mould and that's what that causes. That can be really helpful. Yeah. And for people with MTHFR, they might test and then they're able to go to their parents and go, look, like, I did this test and I've got, we've got this gene mutation. That means you're probably going to have it too. Um, you yeah. know, if they've got both, then they're definitely going to have it. Um, you know, you're probably going to have this too. And, you know, this is what it causes and puts you at risk for. And that could have their, help their parents then change their diet. And, mm. and, you know, so testing can be helpful in so many ways like that as well. Yeah. Um, what were we talking just about? Just not. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we were just talking about how to treat MCA, but that's fine. We were yes. getting on to other things that are also important. Yeah. Okay. Another couple of quick questions. Um, someone asked, how do you know you are having histamine reactions? I think what I've had asked many times is how do you tell the difference between histamine reaction and what was the other thing you talked about earlier? Die off. Yeah. What, how you can tell what you really can't tell the difference sometimes, can Very you? Very hard to tell. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like being a detective with that one. It is mm. hard to tell. It's a bit frustrating. But yeah. generally the histamine response will be to a food, like, yes. you know, stocks, leftovers, avocados. Yeah. Like, you know, it'll be to a food, whereas the die-off will usually be from a probiotic food. Ah, um, okay. So that's kind of how you will tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is hard to tell at mm. times, and it's kind of person to person that will try and put a bit, put the story together of okay, what did you have when you had that? Okay, then you had that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, more likely to be this. So sometimes it's a combination of so. And I know when you're so sick and you're overwhelmed with life in general, you 
it's all too hard. And I think that's yeah. when having a um, practitioner does help because they're looking at it from out of the stress, outside of the stress. And they yeah, go, okay, absolutely. can you see that this correlates with this? And they go, oh, of course, oh, but yeah. they just didn't see it because they were too stressed. Well, that's so, exactly what I needed when I was living in the mould situation. Yes. That was years ago and it was when I first started um, working with Becky Plotner. So, mm. my, I, yeah, most listeners will have heard of Becky because she's yeah. been on your podcast a couple of times. Yeah. So she's my mentor and she is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was mentoring me and, I, and and being my practitioner as well. I'd talk to her about my own stuff. Yeah. And I couldn't have got through that without her. And wow. I'm a gas practitioner, but it doesn't yeah. matter about having all, like it's not about, well, I know about gas. you know. Yeah. It was like, well, I need someone else to look at this for me and help mm. me because I'm very different pair of eyes. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so um, it can be hard. Yeah. So here, another lady says, can histamine reactions present as something other than ordinary symptoms? My son's blood test came back high for histamine, but he doesn't get things like hives, eczema, sniffles, etc. Can high histamine levels be an indicator if something else in the body, in his body, is dealing? is dealing with like an infection or something um so well there are the other symptoms like um dilation of the blood vessels in the brain and then being overly focused on things if you mm-hmm. use a bit of that type a personality it can be having trouble falling asleep um, it can yep. be um, waking up feeling like you haven't slept and feeling mm-hmm. the heaviness in the arms and legs so there are other symptoms too that may not be those and also um i don't always see histamine testing as that reliable either because your histamine can fluctuate right. so much. Of course, in a day. He could have, yeah, he could have just eaten avocados, strawberries and leftover meat for lunch. Mm. And then you test and histamine levels are high. Um, yeah. So I am a big advocate of don't, don't try and fix what's not broken. Mm-hmm. So if you're not seeing a problem there, I wouldn't just trust from that one test. Testing yeah. tests one moment in time yeah so that's that's where the weakness of testing one of the weaknesses of testing is that it just tests one moment in time yeah so all you are seeing is where his histamine levels were at for that one moment in time they might not consistently be high Mm. so yeah that would be a matter of see a practitioner and and talk that one out and try and investigate that what's actually going on for him on a whole Okay. So you have you been through histamine issues yourself with your so when you had the mold stuff I suppose you did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did. One lady asks for some practical ideas on snacks for high histamine issues. She's intolerant to nuts, eggs, gluten and dairy and desperate for snack suggestions. She's not on gaps. She Aww. just yeah. <laughs> she said I usually snack on strawberries, sunflower seeds and avocado with a crying Aww. face. <laughs> awful thing well I guess (laughs) it does depend on what her histamine responses are like Mm. she might be able to still have them occasionally um depending on you know what her histamine response is like did you say dairy was out then dairy's out Oh my goodness! I know. Leave that one with me. I saw. Okay. I did see her. Yeah, because I tagged you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, help, so please. I might, I might leave that one with me, and I'll think of something okay. for her. Because that's hard when nuts, dairy, and eggs out. It's like, oh my gosh, what are you saying? Is gelatin? <laughs> is gelatin usually an issue? It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. gel- gelatin is long fairly question. equivalent to having like really bone long broth. bone broth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Hmm. Well, we'll have a think about that one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We'll brainstorm that one. Of yeah. Snacks. Um, um, it's probably another... well, blue, blueberries are generally okay. Uh, yes. Yep. That's nice instead of strawberries. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'll have to think. What about what egg to... yolks? Are they good for people with issues? She doesn't have eggs. Oh, she did say that. Sorry. See? Yeah. I remember the egg one because I was yeah. like, oh, that takes out a lot of snacks. <laughs> but that is a question that I, I am wondering because is that usually okay, eggs? Yeah, it's in the egg white where there's something, a protein that liberates histamine. Okay. So, but for a lot of people that's fine. That's They can eat eggs no problem without okay. histamine response. So it is really about just figuring out where, where it all lies for you and what, um, mm. Yeah, I just thought of a stack for that lady. Maybe like a veggie <gasps> sticks with a dip that's not high in histamine. Yeah. So like, yeah, she could make some kind of dip. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you think of like a little one. What about pate? Mm. Uh, liver is high in histamine, mm. but I, it's one I still want people to have. So yeah, it'd really be about her doing that exploration of, what what am I tolerating? Where's my level of tolerance? And yeah. So uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I just keep thinking of things and then going, no, no, no. We'll think of something. Yes, we'll think of something and we'll put that on there for us. Yeah. Um, this lady says, my poor daughter is a case study at the children's hospital and unfortunately is on a lot of very strong medications. We've been following the autoimmune protocol. Would love to know what's helping others in the same situation with histamine issues. Oh. I guess, yeah, well, you've answered that really in the rest of the podcast. That's what's going to help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but you would have to, I would definitely go with a um, practitioner for that case. Yeah, I definitely think so as well because it's going to be like, yeah, investigating what, yeah. What, what's going on, what's, yeah. Yeah, if she's already on a heap of medications. Yeah, um, and so speaking of medications, what's mm. antihistamines because that obviously needs to be talked about when we're talking okay. about histamines. Yes. Um, so antihistamines can seem like a good answer when mm. they're um, kind of alleviating that response. But the thing with antihistamines is that they don't actually reduce the histamines. They just take it away from the receptor basically. So um, they're not, yeah, so it's leaving histamine floating around in your body. Um, and not actually removing those, those, those histamines. So when you're taking the antihistamine, histamine can still be floating around and causing a problem. Plus taking antihistamine reduces your diamine oxidase, that, mm. um, that enzyme we were talking about that oh, does it. breaks down histamine. So when you're taking antihistamine, it actually further impedes your production of that. So basically like, you're making a worse long-term yeah, result. Yeah. You're becoming reliant on the antihistamines because wow. your histamine tolerance is going to become worse whilst taking antihistamines. Yeah. So they're kind of like emergency only. Right. Um, okay. Not something, yep. you know, I've just had... Your eyes have swollen up or something, then yeah, yes, take like, antihistamine. Yeah. Urgent, take yeah. antihistamine. But it's the people that are taking daily antihistamine mm-hmm. that your histamine tolerance is going to become worse. And they'll probably wow. already know that by seeing that they've got to take higher doses or you know yeah taking yeah. it and still reacting and yeah okay that's good to know um yeah this lady i'm just trying to read through her questions to see if there's any we haven't answered some I just, something else just popped into yeah, my mind go ahead. that i didn't mention is that being dehydrated 
Oh. is a big issue with histamine intolerance. Ooh. So that's something that people should be on to, especially if they've got histamine intolerance, that just being dehydrated, that can exacerbate and make worse those histamine issues. Hmm. It's like you're um, concentrating everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. So well, and it's because your body will then actually release more histamine when you're dehydrated to help prevent further dehydration. Like it's so it's oh. your body. It's a protective mechanism. Okay. So hydrate. Interesting. Yes. Um, she wants to know, she said, oh, she says she can't do meat stock on the stove because her husband hates the smell. How long should I cook in the pressure cooker? I think we should mention pressure cookers. Yes, mention yes. not to use them. Yes. There's <laughs> um, just so, been back and forth, back and forth on this issue for so long. It's been quite confusing for people in my group. Yeah. So if you can shed yeah. some light. Yeah. So as far as Gaps and Dr. Natasha is concerned, she doesn't recommend the use of pressure cookers because they do actually destroy some of the nutrients in the food. Mm-hmm. So pressure cookers are out, unfortunately. Um, but with the meat stock on the stove, I'd be wondering why it's smelling yeah. so much. Generally, That's, I thought maybe she means bone broth because bone broth, yeah. especially beef bone broth, it does yuck, smell yeah, yuck. But if you're making chicken yeah. stock, it smells like chicken soup. Yeah, exactly. And even um, like doing oxtail or lamb lamb mm. meat stocks, they just kind of smell like dinner. They don't yeah, really... Yeah, smell delicious. Yeah, they don't. It's like, yeah, it's those leaving it's, it for two days on the stove. Yeah. Really strong smelling bone broth. So, yeah, yeah. maybe, I don't know. That's probably what it is. Unless, unless her husband doesn't eat meat or something. Maybe, um, yeah, that could be the case as well. But yeah, we can, I can ask her about that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, pressure cookers, another thing to mention with them is you're increasing the cooking time sort of thing. So you're creating more his, higher histamines um, even though you're only cooking it maybe for two or three hours, but really you're cooking it for like six, right? Well, I don't think it will – I don't think that – I'm not 100% on that one, but I don't think that's going to increase the histamine because it still is only cooking for that time. It's like ah, it's okay physical time of okay that it gives time for those histamines to increase Ah. Um, so i don't think that would be the case okay because i saw um someone answer in my group saying someone who's had really major histamine issues saying that that's why she doesn't use a pressure cooker yeah well maybe it's yeah it could be a few things because it could just be maybe she reacted more to pressure cooker stock like maybe it was too much for her yeah Mm. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah. Okay. I'll see if there's any more questions. I think we're just about to the end of the questions. We've probably answered most things. Well, you have, I should say. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it looks like we've done pretty well. Do you have anything else you can think of that we need to mention? Um. I think I feel like we've covered it well, and I feel mm. like we didn't go off on as many tangents. As I know we did so well. We did what? so well. <laughs> Thursday afternoons obviously a good time. <laughs> yes, it is. I know it must be. Um, but yeah, I just just with the whole histamine thing, it really is about just taking it a step at a time. It can feel really overwhelming when you're just told well, histamine's a problem. You need to go on a low histamine diet. It is about finding the cause and often mm. a conversation with a practitioner you can nut that out and, and see okay well this is what could be going on um but health is a whole picture so it's yeah. not a matter of just going histamine and time so let's focus on that it's 
where's all of your health at with this histamine intolerance being a part of that? We, we need to look at the whole picture and start seeing how do we move your health forward holistically. And that includes stress, overwhelm, how busy your life is because that in- stress increases histamine. I didn't mention that. So being oh. stressed, that's going to increase histamine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and is it um, being overtired? Doesn't that increase histamines? Yes, yes, because that's, that's stress too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's there's many factors there. We know mindfulness, meditation, things like that. Anything where you're slowing down, stopping, breathing, Resting. that all reduces his um, histamines. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's looking at it as a whole big picture of your health. And for people with complex health issues. It can get really overwhelming, but that's where you should be working with a practitioner that is taking that holistic approach, looking at the whole picture and going, in your case, Mm. what is the best approach we can take here to start moving forward? One of the things that Elise and I have been working on is um, a mentoring program for um, people that are really stuck and need some one-on-one help and we go through all this with them and um, it's interesting you know, when you start to work through, when you're looking at it holistically, you're going, okay, how are you going in? Um, do you want to mention those different areas that we talk about? Like yeah. that circle? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that circle. That circle um, thing that we do? <laughs> yeah, the very important circle. Yes. Um, so we look at all aspects of life. So we're looking at your social life, um, community having family around you having fun and laughter and um yeah i can't remember the circle now <laughs> I have to look it up. really important <laughs> um, we're having some kind of spirituality in your life some kind of spiritual connection um looking at getting out in nature uh, moving your body i mentioned that one and not having that you know, stress in your life, looking at where things are at with your career and finances as well, because that can be a big source of stress. So it's looking at the whole picture, but seeing that people come to us because food is a big important Mm -hmm. part of that picture. So we see food as a piece of that puzzle. And by getting nutrition right and getting your body functioning as well as it can, it feeds into those other areas of your life. When it comes to having a long-term, healthy, happy life, the other areas matter more than nutrition. But nutrition helps you function well in those other areas. So it's yeah. like, you know, it's a, it's a really important piece of the puzzle. So I think you missed story, movement. Oh, movement. <laughs> yeah. um, so looking at... So in the mentoring program that Joe and I are going to do with people, where it's going to be a one-on-one thing, so, well, two-on-one. Um, <laughs> one at a time, though. One, yeah, one, one client at a time, and we, we would work individually. Um, you know, I would have a session with them, Joe would have a session with them and that kind of thing. Um, so what we're doing with people is it's, it's really about kind of looking at where you are right now and helping you take those next steps. So... It will be looking holistically at everything that's going on in your life with a big focus on food because we know how important that is mm. to the people that we work with. That and for me, that's my main area that I focus on with people. Yeah, well, but same. And Elise is, yeah. is good with explaining the why and the how to move forward and to make a plan and all that kind of thing. And I go, okay, let me show you how to do this practically in the kitchen when you haven't got much time. 
<laughs> which is what everybody needs. So mm. it's yeah, I think it's a really good combination of what we've yeah. got going on there to make it actually doable for people that you're able to start doing this. So the mentoring program is best for those people that are like, okay, I've been following Joe for a really long time, and I've tried a lot of these things, and I'm you know I know this is what I need to be doing, but I just don't know how to take the next step. Mm. You know, my family are eating like this, and I don't know how to help them, and I don't know how to fit it in. I don't have time. I feel overwhelmed. It's like that's the kind of people we're aiming to work with in this to go, right, mm. we're going to help you to start taking those next steps. And really important is that it's always focusing on that your whole life's improving because yeah. I've just worked with too many people early in my days of being a practitioner where I was very gung-ho and focused on nutrition as mm-hmm. a nutritionist. Um, that I wasn't considering enough the other areas of people's lives and I'd end up with clients that were getting the nutrition right at the expense of every other area of their life. So yeah. where and I did it myself. So yeah. we're really focused on that. It's like our experience so far doing what we've been doing is coming out in this mentoring that we can then, we, you know, we can help other people do that. You know, when we get these really difficult emails from people who just have so much going on in their life with anxiety and depression and hormone issues and adrenal fatigue and histamine issues and, um, you know, they've been in and out of therapy all their life, all this kind of stuff, you can't just give them a simple do this diet and you will be better. (laughs) This is just so much more to it. Um, It all helps, like the nutrition helps, but we definitely want to try and um, just remind people that you know, there's, you can simply work on different things that will help you to get great big leaps forward um, without having to stress out over just diet. Yeah. And we can't have everyone move in with us and that's what I'd like to do. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why don't you just come and come here? Yeah, I thought about and that too. I'll help you. And then so this is like second second best to that because we can't have you move in with us. We're gonna just coach you instead. <laughs> I often I, I often feel like saying, Look, just move in with my mum across the road. She has a granny yeah. flat, but I can't do that now because my son's living in it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Poor one mom. day, I, Always I, gets one my, day my, my dream one day is to have some <laughs> kind of retreat centre. So I will be I, Yes, I think that's a good idea. My retreat centre <laughs> and then we'll help you. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should also mention our seminars. Yay, of course. How could we forget the seminars? Yeah. I'll probably mention it in the intro. So if, um, if sorry if you're hearing it twice. But, um, so obviously not everyone can do one-on-one mentoring. We want to reach as many people as we can with this message. So we're taking our seminar on the road. Yay! <laughs> so nourishing your family will be hitting North Queensland. Joe's around. Um, what have we got? The 9th of the 9th, 9th of September is Townsville. Is Townsville, which is a Monday. Mm-hmm. 12th of September is Cairns, which is a mm-hmm. Thursday. Then 13th of September on a Friday mm-hmm. will be Atherton. Yep, so yeah. we're excited about that. And we do have plans for further south, so stay tuned. Hopefully November we'll be able to do some around Byron Bay, Brisbane. Yes, um, we have to do it. We have yes. To. So, um, if you're in other areas and you're desperate for us to come see you, just like hassle us on Facebook or something. And then the more people in your area that hassle us, the more likely we'll come. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, that's a really good idea. Because, yeah, one thing Joe and I have discussed about 
this show that we're getting on the road is that we want to reach the people that don't get the, yeah. you know, the big health seminars coming into their towns. Like we want to reach the people that don't usually access this kind anything. Of we want, yeah, we want to get to everybody. Yeah, we do. We really would love to get to some, um, you know, country towns. I know Emerald has been waiting for a long time and oh, Goldie cool. and all these places like that. So we're hoping that we can do that. Yeah, and just it'll be little by little because we have families and we can fit it in here and there. But um, it's just so important to, you know, both Elise and I have been through big health journeys and when we talk to people about what we've been through and what we've done, um, we know that that helps to encourage them and then to say here's some steps you can take, this is where to start. It can be, um, it can be the beginning of something really good. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's we're so big on inspiring, not overwhelming, yeah. and giving you food to eat too. So yes, that always helps. Tastings, <laughs> lots of tastings. I tested some today, and they were very yummy. Oh, awesome! I, <laughs> I won't say what. <laughs> oh yes, I ate. I, well, I did eat. I did eat three of those today, but they were mini. <laughs> yeah, well, I need to make some, so send me the recipe. Okay, I will. I will definitely. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Elise. I think that will be very helpful for people. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. If anyone wants to contact you, do you want to just tell them how? I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, link in the show notes. It's elisecomerford.com. That's my website. Um, You can also email support at elisecomerford.com and you'll get answered by my assistant, Mel, and she can help book you in as well. So... I do free 30-minute initial consults and that is just to have that conversation because really people come to me like, I don't even know. I don't know if I should do gaps. I don't know. This is what's going on. And so I really like to give people a bit of an explanation. Well, from what I can see, what you've told me so far, this is what I think is kind of going on so you can understand the process and how that how I recommend approaching it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah, have a chat to Elise if you need some practitioner help. I really think I really recommend her. She's very good. Oh, <laughs> She's helped so. me heaps. Thanks, so. Yeah. All right. Oh. Well, thanks guys for listening, and we'll be back in a fortnight with another podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to ask us um, by emailing help at quirkycooking.com.au or you can email Elise on her contact form on her website. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye, Joe. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.